wonder of God's grace. Good morning, church. I don't know how I sound right now. I'm taking a risk by talking, but sounds good, I think. Open your Bibles to Matthew 13 with me, if you could. My name is Merrick Potter. I serve on the leadership team here. Excited to be in the Word with you. As you're doing that, as you're opening your Bibles or clicking on your phones, whatever you're doing, uh, I want you to imagine with me, take a walk down memory lane to 1964. Some of you can actually, actually do have memories from this. If you don't, you know, take the imagination train and go back with me. No, I'm not talking about the last time the Cleveland Browns won an NFL championship, so I'm not going there. Uh, but here's where I want to take you. Come with me on this, uh, this train. Um, 1964, there's a new, new-ish band called The Beatles, and they are doing their first concert on U.S. soil, a big event, and you are there at that concert. Uh, maybe some of you can picture even being there at one of those concerts. But, so you're there, and as you listen to their music, you hear their first song, and after the first chorus, you watch some of the people who are at the concert leave. Ah, nah, nah, I'm not into the Beatles, not for me, I'm going home. You stick around, you go to the end of the concert, and you see a bunch of teenagers, girls, who are just ecstatic and so excited about the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles! And so they stand in line in the booth to meet the Beatles and to go up, and they see the prices of the records and the t-shirts, and they go, uh-uh, no way, I'm not, no way I'm paying that much, and they're, they're out of there. Um, Still others buy some records. They buy some records, they get a bumper sticker they slap on the car, and they listen to the records for a few times and go, ah, yeah, not really my style. I'll go find something else. And still there are others who are just Beatle fanatics, who are listening to every record that they produce and memorizing every lyric, and they are all into the Beatles. And so we see that, we see in this example, this one group of musicians, all they did is they, they went out there and they started singing, and they started proclaiming and releasing their mes- message to the world. And you see, when they did that, it created a variety of responses. The responses were quite diverse to the Beatles or fill-in-the-blank pop singer that exists today. You either love them or you hate them. The responses are various. And what I want us to see here in our passage is that Jesus likewise is proclaiming a message for all to hear, and the responses to that message are going to be quite diverse. They are going to vary. His message is one that is so much more life-changing than anything the Beatles ever sang about, and he is proclaiming it, and so he does it this time by teaching a parable. And the parable is going to illustrate why those responses are so diverse And we see this, right? Responses to the gospel vary. Those of us here, we have accepted the gospel, we have submitted to it. Others here, and they say, yeah, it's not for me, and they reject it. And Jesus explains why this is with a call to listen well to his word. We want to do that this morning. Listen as I read Matthew chapter 13. Follow along with me. We'll be reading verses 1 through 23. And because it's such a big passage, good idea to keep your Bibles open because we'll be referencing multiple verses. Verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. 
and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, why, do you, why, did you speak, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to many prophets and righteous people, long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. And may, Lord, you bless it now and please open our eyes and open our hearts to hear well your word. I want to walk through this text with three main headings, three simple headings that I think derive right from the text uh, and given to us by the text, the parable, the purpose, and the meaning. Three points. So point number one, the parable. We see this in verses one through nine, the parable. And right away in verse 1, we see a little phrase that is key. We see a direct connection to the events that just happened. Right away, we see the words, that same day. That same day. If you remember, it's the same exact day where Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees challenged him. They accused him. And they did not like what he did. And now, as we see in verse 2, on the same day, great crowds are coming to Jesus to hear him teach so much that he has to go into a boat 
because the crowds are so great. And the Pharisees, meanwhile, are on the hunt to destroy him. And here begins Matthew chapter 13, the third teaching discourse in the book of Matthew. If you remember, there are five. This is number three, often called the parabolic discourse. And it's called that because in, in chapter 13 and for the next few weeks, we will hear Jesus speaking a variety of parables given to us and given to the disciples and to the crowd. And each of these parables we're going to see are linked by a similar common theme, the implications of the revival of the kingdom. These are kingdom parables that Jesus will be giving. We saw back in Matthew 4, when Jesus began his public ministry, he began it with these words. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, since then, we've seen that Jesus has gone around proclaiming the kingdom. What is is that? What is the kingdom that he's been proclaiming? It's that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God incarnate, has broken, he's broken into this world through his incarnation, and his rule and reign has been inaugurated through his miracle and through his message, and that message is transforming people. And it's a rule and a reign that has broken in, but it's not been fully realized. One day it's going to be fully realized when we see Christ on his throne and at his second coming when all bow to his knee. But right now it's broken in even as we live in this fallen world. That's what the kingdom is. It's broken in to this world, his rule and reign in his people. But you see, here's the thing. The Jews and a lot of the disciples, they read their Bibles, they read the Old Testament, and they thought, yeah, well, the Messiah is coming. There's a Messiah who's going to come. And when he does, the tears will be wiped away. Death will be no more. The righteous will reign on the earth. They thought as soon as the Messiah comes, it's going to happen. All this Roman rule that we're under right now, it's going to go away as soon as that Messiah comes. That was their understanding. And so when they see Jesus' miracles and they're teaching, and they see, oh, here he goes. He's teaching again, man. He keeps doing miracles and he keeps teaching, but the, the people are starting to respond in different ways. Some are curious. Just, they just follow him around and continue to want to learn what this new teacher has to say. Some are astonished at what he's saying. Some are critical or skeptical. And some are just simply, like the Pharisees, simply rejecting it. And so this kingdom message is creating a variety of responses. And they're all just sitting there waiting. Okay, you say that you're the Messiah. But these Romans over here, they're still ruling. Uh, are you going to do something about that? And they've missed that. Because Jesus wants to make it clear here that when he says kingdom, he doesn't mean a, a political, right now at least, a political governmental rule. He's not going to overthrow the government. He's not going to round up a bunch of disciples and say, okay, let's go take over and let's build my throne right now. Now his kingdom it's his rule and his reign in his people. It's, it's when his people obey the king and serve the king. When the way of the king is seen in the lives of the people. That's what he means by the kingdom. Where the king is worshipped by his subjects even as they live in a fallen world. And so you remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist got a little confused because he, he was sitting in jail going, Hey, Jesus, I thought you were the Messiah. And I thought the Messiah was going to build his kingdom now. And so Jesus corrected him and said, no, no, this is part of the kingdom. Your suffering in jail right now is part of the kingdom. You're going to, people are going to see you 
serving and worshiping the king even while you're in jail. That's part of the kingdom work right now. But correcting his thought that Jesus was going to become king on a throne as he lived an earthly life. What's he doing now? What's Jesus doing? Why does he start talking in parables? He's going to teach the crowds and the disciples. He said, that, that kingdom I've been preaching about, I'm going to show you now how that spreads in this world. It's going to spread slower maybe than you thought as the seeds get sown. And we're going to see that in each of these parables, the way the kingdom spreads. And he uses parables. We, we know parables. We've heard them. Parables are stories. They're like extended metaphors that illustrate a point, and they, they use scenes from kind of everyday farmer language, everyday life, to talk about things that are heavenly. And that can be a little bit difficult because parables use words like, like yeast and mustard seeds and new wine and old wineskins, and we're like, okay, what's going on here? And it's using, because it's using first century Palestine everyday language to make these points, and they kind of make us go, huh? What do you mean by that, Jesus? I, I think of like, uh, yeah, I just think of some of those parables that are a little bit like, yeah, I don't know, there's a shrewd manager doing this different thing. What do you mean by that, Jesus? But the thing is, when we read a parable, we've got to enter into that world and into that culture. That's one thing we've got to do. And listen, here's the other thing. Whenever we, we come across a parable, we want to see, okay, why is it in my Bible right here and why did Jesus say it, you know, on that same day, these other things? Why is he saying it now? We want to look at the context. We don't just read a parable and go, yeah, yeah. We want to see where it fits into what Matthew's trying to do in his gospel and what Jesus is trying to do in his ministry. That's our job. That's our challenge. And one more thing about parables is that parables are stories, but they're a little bit more than just stories. If you remember in um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, King David has just recently committed adultery and gone and taken Bathsheba, a woman who was not his own. And then <laughs> what did he do next? He said, hey, that husband of Bathsheba, why don't you go have him killed at the front of the lines? So this is what King David's running around doing. And somebody knocks on his door, and it's the prophet Nathan. And he says, oh, hi, Nathan. And Nathan says, I've got to tell you a story. I've got to tell you a parable. And so he tells him this parable. And by the end of it, David is enraged, and David is angry about the story and about the man in the story, the main character. He says, where is that man you're talking about in that story? I want to get him killed. That guy deserves to be hanged. You remember what Nathan said? You are that man. You're the one I'm talking about. And David, whoa. Somehow that got through to David, and it demanded a response from him. And he responded in repentance. And what I want you to see there is parables are just are stories, but they're also stories that are given, and they demand a response from those who hear what is given to them. That's what we're going to see here in our text. Parables challenge us to listen and to judge what we're listening to and to respond. Jesus here, he's providing a picture, and he's challenging the people to respond to what he is saying. And we, we now read in our Bibles 2,000 years later, we want to listen in, we want to pay attention and listen closely to what Jesus is saying. Some translations capture this in verse 3. 
Jesus starts the parable by, by, by using a word that means listen or, or behold. And then he finishes the parable. You see this? He finishes the parable in verse 9 and he says, He who has ears, let him hear. It means I just said something. If you got ears on your head, I hope you just heard what I just said. And so we see this theme throughout this whole section of hearing and listening. And that's the key point we want to hear this morning. It's, it's listen up. That's what Jesus is doing, getting our attention and saying, listen up. God's word, the good news of the gospel is sown all over the place constantly, and we want to listen whenever it's spoken. But Jesus is going to make clear, not everyone truly actually hears the message that he's saying. And so we, we want to make sure when we sit under God's word taught, or when we open our Bibles and read it, that we are listening and hearing closely to what Jesus is saying. Because God has preserved his words in a book for us that we can chew on, we can read, we can meditate on. And I believe that's what he's calling to us to this morning. And as we leave here this morning, to listen close. Because he's sowing his word before our eyes, before our ears, constantly, we are responsible for how we hear it. We must be careful to, to take heed on how we hear. And a good listener of Jesus starts asking questions. Ah, Jesus, why do you say that? Let me think about this. They ask questions, and they seek answers, and they think about what they hear. And so you see this. This is what the disciples do. You see this in verse 10. So Jesus gives a parable to the whole crowd, and I think the disciples, it doesn't say, I think that the disciples are probably in the boat with Jesus. Remember, Jesus is teaching from the boat. And somehow he gets to sit while everyone else stands, like the opposite of what we're doing right now. But that's how they did things. He's sitting in the boat, probably with his disciples. And so he gives the parable, and the disciples lean over and say, Jesus, kind of, this is a private conversation. Why do, you speak, why do you speak to those people on the shore over there? Why do you speak to them in parables? And notice, before Jesus even explains what he meant by the parable, he looks the disciples in the eyes and he gives them a private rundown of what he just did, what he just told. And so we want to listen in. So that takes us to our second point, the, the purpose. He's going to give the disciples the purpose of the parable and any parable that he gives. Point number two, the purpose. And we see this in verses 10 to 17. So the disciples are asking, Jesus, why don't you just speak to the crowd plainly so they can just understand you? Why are you telling these stories or like these, this like a puzzle box, like this riddle? It's, it's like, like when you're sitting on the dinner table and you've got kids, little kids around and the wife looks across the table at her husband and starts saying, A-K-E, and whispers something and spells it out. And what do the kids at the table do? Hey, hey, stop that. Stop it now. What are you saying? I know what you're trying to do and I can't read and I can't spell. So... Fill me in a little bit. I want to know what you're saying. I probably have something to do with a treat or something, and I want to know right now. And someday I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to figure out what you said because I'm a smart kid. But it's so, so it's kind of like what's going on here is, come on, Jesus, why are you spelling things out? Why don't you just say it clearly to them? But it's so interesting. Look what Jesus says here. I think it's helpful to ask a question. What, why does he, what does he say? What does he not say? He doesn't say, well, I tell parables because I, I am a master storyteller and I tell good stories. And so I just love telling good stories. 
doesn't say that. He is. He's a master. Jesus is a master storyteller who knows how to weave together all these different characters and points. But that's not what he says. And he gets okay, that gets more at what's his primary purpose for telling stories and parables. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says to the, to the disciples, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, to the crowd, it has not been given. Okay? So we've got to let Scripture guide us here. Thinking about what Jesus just said, Jesus is telling his parables to, to cover up, to conceal his message, to put a veil over it, and to only reveal it clearly and give it clearly to those who are in his true family. Notice later on when he actually explains what the parable means, it's only to the disciples. In verse 18, he turns to the disciples. He doesn't tell the crowd. So Jesus is purposefully proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in a parable now, and in more parables, that are unclear. And and they they need interpretation. And so we're going to see a pattern now. Jesus is often going to tell a parable. The crowd is going to go, huh, hmm, what's that mean? The disciples are going to pull him aside and say, Jesus, what was that all about? And Jesus is going to explain it to the disciples. He's going to give the secrets of the kingdom to the disciples. So what's going on here? We see a word secret in our Bibles, and we're like, is this like middle school? Are these like secrets that we pass around? It's like, and we look at each other, and we're like, hey, I know something you don't know, and I got a secret, and I'm not going to tell you. Is that, is that what we mean here, that Jesus is suddenly pointing his disciples and whispering in their ears and saying, don't tell anybody else about this. This is a secret. I don't think exactly what that's what Jesus is aiming to do. I think, it's a, picture it a little bit more like an inside joke. Like when you tell a joke to somebody into a crowd of people, and a few people just laugh their heads off because they know exactly what you were talking about, and some others just stare at you. Like, that's not funny. I wasn't there. Why are you talking to me about that? And the other, <laughs> others kind of do this like, <laughs> And because they have no idea what you just said, and they, but they want to somehow fit in a little bit. And so like, yeah, I'll laugh just loud enough so maybe he thinks I understood, but I won't laugh my head off. I'll just kind of do one of those like, little, 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 little laughs. It's a little bit more, I think, what's going on here is, is the concept of an inside joke. So these the secrets or these mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus is giving, they're not like those typical, when we think of secrets that we got to guard and don't tell anybody, now, these, these are open secrets that Jesus is, he's, ta- he's still talking to the crowd. He's openly sharing these. He's sharing truths that were once hidden in prophecies that he's now interpreting and declaring publicly. And so that's what the Bible means when it says mystery or secret, something that was once covered up in a prophecy that is now being revealed. It means big things are happening. The king is now here, so we're opening up paradox, the, 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 the box here. And, but you see that in this in the, in the message that only certain people are going to understand the secret. That there's suddenly going to be a, there's this divide. There are the insiders and there are the outsiders. If you look at Mark 4 when it talks about this parable, you see that language. There's the inside and there's the outside. So here's what Jesus is doing. He, he has taught the people publicly. He has proclaimed his message. We've seen that for multiple chapters. He has explained himself to the Pharisees. He has, showed, he has performed signs that show that the kingdom has come and they won't have it. They have rejected his message. So now much of his messages 
Much of his teachings that Jesus is going to give, it's going to be in parables. And the thing is that when he's going to tell parables, it's either going to lead his disciples to a more fuller, deeper understanding. Oh, that's what the kingdom is, Lord. Okay, I get it. Or it's going to lead unbelievers to harden their hearts even further. You remember what he said in Matthew 7, 6? He said, do not throw your pearls before pigs, before swine. This is an application of that. The Pharisees and so much of the crowd following Jesus around, the same crowd who will reject him at his crucifixion once they realize, oh, you're not really a king at all. You're weak. You're going to suffer. And I don't like you know, persecution, tribulation. Uh-uh. The same crowd who is in a buzz right now, the kingdom's here, they're going to reject him very soon. And so what they had been given in clear speech, Jesus was teaching them very clearly, is going to be taken away. As we see in verse 12, he's going to speak in parables. Because, what's the reason? Because, verse 13, because their ears are closed. He will respond in judgment now. That's why Jesus quotes from Isaiah. You see that in your Bible. It's kind of bracketed off. Verse 14, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. You remember Isaiah 6? Isaiah 6, a lot of times we hear, we read or we hear verses 1 through 8. Isaiah sees a vision. The prophet Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord on his throne. And he sees angels covering themselves before the throne and declaring, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah bows down and he says, woe is me. And he says, here I am, send me. And so often we put a period right there and we say, yeah, there we go. He was ready to go. And it's a powerful message. Well, what I want you to see is, do you remember what he says, right? What God said right after Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Keep reading in verse 9, which is what Jesus is quoting here. God tells him, go. Okay, I'm going to send you. Go. And say to this people, Isaiah, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy, their ears heavy and blind their eyes. How's that for a commission? You ever thought about going overseas as a missionary, and what if, as you're on the boat, the person who's sending you out says something like that? Yeah, here's your job. Talk to a bunch of people, but make these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes with your message. You see, Isaiah was going to go and preach a message faithfully for many years, and the people would totally reject it. The Jewish people in his day hardened themselves against God. They closed their eyes. And here Jesus is saying, it's it's happening again. Here we have the Jewish people in front of me, and they are hardening themselves and rejecting this message. Isaiah's message is being repeated. They see his work. They see his power. They hear his teaching, but they don't actually see it. They don't actually hear it. They don't get it. And instead, they shut their eyes ultimately. They harden themselves against Jesus and they remain blind. And you say, okay, good. Remember I said, good to ask questions. You say, well, wasn't this God's plan all along? Didn't we just read that Jesus gives secrets only to certain people? To you, you know the secrets of the kingdom, but not to them. 
So isn't that part of God's plan to only communicate certain things, only to save certain people? Isn't he choosing not to help others hear and see? I think, yeah, we, we need to see that nothing happens without God's purpose. But we also must say that, that when people's hearts are hardened, it's both the divine purpose of God and due to their own decision. Somehow in the Bible, that's how it's presented as totally compatible. Divine purpose, man's decision, man's responsibility. Nothing is outside of God's control and plan, but every time, we see this multiple times in the Bible, the people are always held responsible for their response to the message. And listen, church, we, we are naturally like the crowd with physical ears and eyes. Where we're listening, we're, we naturally just see, but our eyes... Before the Spirit broke into our lives and gave us new hearts, our eyes were willingly shut. We may have said, we may have straight out rejected Jesus. We may have said, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good storyteller. But his message had no claim on us. And our eyes were willingly closed shut. But listen, listen, listen. If that's you right now, if that's you, hear the good news of the gospel that says those who were once outside can become those who are on the inside, that the blind can now see and the lost can be found. And how? That comes by responding to Jesus' kingdom proclamation. Hear the message of the kingdom, repent and believe. Submit yourself to the King of kings and believe in the good news of the gospel that says you and I, we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Christ is that Savior through his substitutionary death on the cross and give your life to knowing and following him more and more and more and more. And you know what? If that has happened or if that is about to happen for you, it is because God poured out his mercy on you and adopted you as his own and gave you the spirit to open your eyes and gave you a new heart that wants to love him and love him more. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, but God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a gift. You see that language again, to give that church, that, my friends, that's mercy toward those who were once blind. That's incredible grace from God given to us, and that should lead us to wonder, to amazement, that God would give a gift like that, to take our eyes that were just welded shut and say, "Uh uh-uh, Open those that you might see me. Look at this first, verse 11. Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Later he says, verse 16, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Man, that should just lead us to wonder and amazement that, that you, Jesus, loved us so much in your divine mercy, you decided to open my eyes, open my ears, that I might truly understand. When was the last time you, you just wondered at something as incredible as that? You just sat back and wondered in prayer or in, in worship. Or you read your Bible and just sat back and said, whoa, I can't just keep reading. i got to stop right here and just wonder at the, the truth of what I just read. That just blows my mind. 
and I'm going to pause, and I'm just going to go, whoa. And I'm going to sit here for, for two minutes or 20 minutes and just wonder in amazement at the divine mercy of God to you. Because when you repented, when you believed, that, that was a miracle. That was a dead person coming alive. And now when we, when we open our Bibles, when we say, God, God, help me to see, help me to read clearly, help me to see what's in here, what's in your word, and you actually do see, and you understand something, and it encourages you, or it convicts, convicts you, or challenges you, or it changes you, and changes how you live, and when you sit under his word preach, and you want to go out right away and apply it, and you actually do apply it, that is the work of the Spirit in you because He is so gracious as we lean into Him and call out to Him and abide in Him to meet us in those moments. So let me just encourage you this afternoon, this week, to just block off on your calendar. I'm just going to wonder and I'm going I'm to seek the Lord in amazement and trust that He's going to meet me in that moment. Listen, you and I, we will only get what we put in to our time in the Word, to our time here on a Sunday morning, we're only going to get what we put in. So if we, if we come in and we just kind of, we open our Bibles for a couple minutes and say, yep, done that, moving on to my next thing, you're going to get what you put in. When we pause, when we meditate, when we stop, when we chew on the words, the Lord promises to meet us in those moments. When we hear the Word preached, then we go and seek to apply it right away. That's what verse 12 means when it says, when Jesus says, to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. Because you know what really happens when you, when, you, when you lean in to listen? God's going to give you more. He's going to give you greater understanding. He's going to give you greater encouragement. And that includes, that includes Christians who have been Christians for decades, who have read the same verses over and over and sang the same songs and heard similar sermons over and over again. Look at this. Jesus promises an abundance. And that comes from, from riches that are unsearchable and inexhaustible. You know what that you know what word means, inexhaustible? It cannot be exhausted. It, you you like plunge the depths and you try to go deeper and it's like, whoa, I thought the depths were there and I'm going deeper and I'm going deeper and I'm going deeper and I'm going deeper. That's, that's what abundance means that the Lord promises to us as we lean in. That's what's in store for you and I. This is what God calls us to this morning, to hear well the words of Christ and to sit at his feet and to seek understanding and being willing to linger and to sit at his feet that we might live lives, go out and live lives after that time that worship the king. So again, I ask are you listening? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words in the morning, on a Sunday morning, a community group, in those different contexts? When, you, when, the, when the word is sown, when the gospel goes forth, and what does that look like? And if it's not happening, what should it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus? Because church, Jesus, when we do that, he is so gracious to reveal himself to us abundantly. For the disciples, that's, that's, this is what it looks like for the disciples. When they went to him, it's like that, that, that parable puzzle that he had just presented. He unlocked it. He explained it to them. 
He gave them the meaning. He gave them a secret of the kingdom. That takes us to our third point. He gave them the meaning, the meaning which we see in verses 18 to 23. This is where we see Jesus explaining the parable. This is a well-known parable, and I think one of the reasons it's so well-known is because Jesus tells the parable, then he pauses for a bit to talk to the disciples, and then he explains it to the disciples, and he says what it means. What a gift to a preacher when you're standing there and saying, what does this mean? Oh, here's what it means. Jesus just told me. He just explained it to me. So you have a sower in the parable who's just going out, and he's a farmer. He's just scattering seed. And we, we who have ever gardened before, we see that, and we're like, man, aren't you supposed to like dig a little hole and put an inch and a half down in the ground and cover it up and water it a little bit, then walk 18 inches away and do another little hole and make sure like they're perfectly in a, in a line and that all the lines are mapped out and everything. Man, this guy's just scattering seed. What's he doing? I think, I think it's helpful to remember, okay, it's first century Palestine. They do things a little bit differently. So, so when he's farming, he's just he's scattering seed. And then they would go afterward and they would till up and they would plow the soil. Some of the seed might blow around, but just a different practice. That's, that's what we see in the parable. So we're scattering the seed. And notice this. A few things I want to point out about this parable. We see this in other parables, and we're going to see it down in the weeks ahead. The sower is Jesus scattering the seeds, or it's anyone who teaches the kingdom message, anyone who teaches the gospel. So he's sowing seeds that are the word of the kingdom. Verse 18, the word of the kingdom. And get this, it's the same seed. It's not like he has some really nice seed that he's sowing. Some, we don't see that in the parable. It's just the same seed he's sowing all over the place. It's the same good news, the same good news of the gospel that he's scattering and spreading around. What's different is the soil. So some of the seeds fall on the path, birds eat them up. Some of them fall on the rocky ground and the sun psh, scorches them, those out. Some go up next to the thorns, the thorns choke them out. Some of them land in the good soil and produce, look at this, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And so the soil, this is Jesus' point here, these different soils represent the hearts of those who hear the good word that's given. That's his primary emphasis, is the four soils. How each of them respond to the seed. How well hearts have been cultivated to receive the gospel and to respond to it. Jesus is illustrating why he can preach the same exact message to a crowd and a whole lot of people can go, ah, yeah, that was nice. That was a nice little story, unaffected. And how others can come and say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Or how you can, get, you can hear the same sermon and some people will respond a certain way, some will respond in a completely indifferent way, unaffected by it. And Jesus is illustrating that everyone can hear the same message, but what matters is what's in the heart. What's, what's the soil in here that's going to respond to that message that's given? And so here in this parable, Jesus gives us a picture. And I think this, I think this is helpful. Pastor Warren Wearsby describes parables as a picture that becomes a mirror and then a window. Kind of this three-step process. Parables describe a picture of life. And that picture, the story that Jesus gives, is meant to be a mirror for us where we look at it and we're shocked and we start to see, oh, wait, he's kind of talking about me a little bit and I need to think about how this word applies to me. It's a mirror that reflects back on us and then ultimately it becomes a window as we do that work of thinking about and applying it where we see, we see through that window 
greater kingdom truths. We learn more about Jesus. So that picture that becomes a mirror and that becomes a window. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He gives us pictures of four soils to help us look in the mirror and then consider ourselves and our lives. And which soils are we? And how are we responding to his word? So listen, church, we need, we need to see the warning that Jesus gives us here. That, that those who hear the word are responsible for how they respond to the word. You see, you can, you can hear the same word repeatedly with your physical ears constantly every Sunday over and over again. It can be right in front of you and it can actually only lead to further hardening you against God. And we see this in the first soil. See this in the hard soil. The ones who reject Jesus. The, the word goes out and we see Satan swoops it up. And that's a reminder that even as we read the Bible or we hear a sermon or even as we gather here, that Satan's at work to mess up our sound or to mess up our heat this morning to do all these things to distract us with what we're, our, our dinner plans later on today, to do all these things that will snatch up the word so that when it goes out, it's not going to do anything. Never gets to our hard hearts. And this, this soil is like the Pharisees. They hear Jesus all the time, time and time again. And, and their the response is the same. Man, what can we do to get rid of this guy? I'm going to keep listening to him, but I don't want to listen to him anymore. Get rid of this guy. And we see in verse 12 that the danger is that eventually the word will be taken away. This soil can become so hard that if you live an unrepentant life, when you see, when you hear the gospel and you say, nah, I'm not going to repent, that eventually time's going to run out. There are many who will harden themselves against the word. They will receive the judgment that is due to them. They will never truly hear or see. And Hebrews 3 teaches us that we, we can be hardened. We all. It is possible for all of us to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it goes on to say, this is the word for the first soil. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Ask him to open your ears, for today is the day of salvation. Second soil, the rocky ground, that represents the, the superficial ones. The ones who, who hear the words, the teenagers at the Beatles concert who hear the words, and they are excited, they're enthusiastic, and like a new plant, they receive the water, and they shoot right up. And this characterizes so much of the crowd. There's just this buzz in the air, and they're curious. They want to hear more, because the kingdom's here. But as soon as any hardship comes their way, their response is to reject Jesus and to walk away, because there's no root that ever forms. And we see this. Someone confesses Christ. They're here. They're passionately worshiping. But as soon as they face any kind of hardship, a breakup, a job that they lose, a death in the family, they fall away. Or, or, or we see this. We see this. Young people who, who can come to the church for 18 years of their life and hear a message preached every single Sunday and hear it at their home in family devotions and all it takes is going to college and hearing a professor ask them a few questions they've never even thought about of the Bible and Christianity, and they turn. What's going on? There's 18 years of sowing, and just like that, they've turned. Faith is shaking. They move on. And it just, it's, it's revealing in that moment there was never any roots 
They heard a lot. The roots never went down. No genuine faith that ever happened. Listen, it's good, it's good to be enthusiastic and to be excited about the gospel. It's good news. Of, it's of great joy. But that excitement should lead directly to relationship, to time in the word, worship, and in prayer, and in study, and in community. All these things sending our roots down deep so that when suffering comes and when persecution comes, when the heat comes, we will not fear and we will not wither. And the question is, are you actively right now sending down your roots? Have you fully grasped that the disciple of Jesus Christ will face persecution and hardship and trouble? And so are you preparing for those moments by anchoring yourself in the promises of God that will sustain you in those moments? Because oh, what an anchor for the soul promises of God are. Then we see the soil among the thorns. And notice how in the parable each seed lasts a little bit longer they don't get scorched out right away. This is the soil that I think, I think it might be the most prevalent or the most dangerous for us today. Because I think many self-proclaimed Christians can fall in this category. The seed is scattered before us constantly. We can go on YouTube and listen to any sermon we want to. Every Sunday morning, we're faithful in attendance. We can read devotions. We can read the Bible in our translation of our choice or even go into the original language and, and read it. And we can still not understand or hear. You can hear the word with your ears and your heart and be unaffected. And why is that? Jesus says it's because we can become consumed with living for things that do not matter. These are the distracted ones, the ones who, who get the message. But there's so much to worry about, so much to do, so many other priorities, or, or, or the seduction of wealth is so prevalent for them, so strong that their focus too, is too much on their bank account and, and stocks and working harder and working harder, moving up the ladder so that they can store up treasures on earth that will never bear any fruit. A life that is Christian on the outside, on Sundays, or maybe even at community group. But if you get down deep, it's a life that reveals that following Christ is just, a, just an accessory. It's way out here. It's not right there in the center that, that causes the whole wheel of your life to move around. It's just kind of over here. And I got other things over here, and there's something else at the center. Yeah, I go to church, but it's just an accessory over here. The bumper sticker Christian. Or you slap the bumper sticker on and say, I'm good. You move on. Listen, God gives us many good gifts to enjoy, and there are many good things we can fill our calendar with. But if Christ is not at the center of our lives, if submitting to him above all things is not our primary focus, we are like the seed who can be choked out by those good gifts and by those things of this world that can seduce us. And so the question we must continue to consider throughout our lives, that we might guard against those thorns, is what are those thorns in your life right now that threaten to choke faith and obedience to Christ? What are the thorns, if you truly think about it, the good things even, that can become so prevalent 
that they can choke out. Things like sports or hobbies or money or children or housework. And to get down even deeper, are you sure that the word has truly changed you or that in the end your life will reveal that it was just a show? There was no true salvation. There were no roots that ever, ever went down. Listen, when, when God's word goes forth, it gets something done. When he scatters seed, something happens. Isaiah 55 says, His word shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes. The word's either going to take root and save and grow, or it's going to harden. It's going to harden that soil even more. We see that in Jesus' parable. The first three soils all receive the same seed. They are all hearts that hear the word, but whatever the obstacle, unbelief, or Satan's lies, persecution, hardship, distraction, riches, the result's the same because the root never went down. But church, I want you to look at the fourth soil. Let's, let's finish on the fourth soil. Because this is good news, church. Listen to this. For those who, who receive the word and hear it and let it go down and do its work and go deep into our hearts and change us and encourage us and correct us and challenge us and make our priorities different, the result is much fruit. These are the ones who listen to Christ, who repent of their sins, who confess Him as Savior and Christ, Savior and King one time and then every single day of the rest of their lives who give their lives to Him in full commitment to use their gifts for His glory. And look at this. When that happens, what's the natural result when you become a good tree, when you give your life to Jesus every single day? Natural result's fruit. Good fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Because when the word of the kingdom takes root in your life, when Christ is our anchor, Unbelief and fake faith and distracted faith washes away into faith in action that produces fruit. As we send those roots down deep into living water, the Spirit empowers us to produce fruit that glorifies God and blesses others, and we continue to grow. And that describes, describes so many of us this morning. And here we are. Here we, we just read Matthew 13. We've just thought about this. And now we've got to think, before we leave today, what do we want to do with the word that we just heard? What do we want to do with Matthew 13? Because I don't want to be a hearer who just hears it, and then we go right away. To, there's a whole lot of distractions coming up, whether it's lunch, there's a football game coming up, strategically planned for Sunday afternoon. So you can say, yeah, all that stuff I just read about, uh, I'm going to switch my focus. And so there's so many temptations, good things, hikes and dinners lined up for you today that are going to risk distracting you from the word of Christ. And so we want to pause and say, no, I'm going to make a commitment right now. I want to hear this word, and I want to apply this word. I want to be a doer of this word. I don't want it to be snatched up or choked out. I want to make a commitment. So let's make that commitment. We're going to hear the word. We're going to go apply the word. And as you do that, I want to encourage you in a few different ways, church. Listen, our, our faith falters. You and I, our faith falters, and we get distracted. There are things that start choking. There, there are thorns that come up. But when we submit and trust ourselves to Jesus anew, when we abide in him, when we go back and say, yeah, I was over here with the thorns, and I let them choke me out, but Jesus, I'm going to go back and abide with you 
I'm going to spend my time with you and rededicate. He's going to bring fruit again. Even out of a season that might have been fruitless for a time, he's going to produce the fruit. He's going to do that work. And listen, church, we don't all produce the same amount of fruit. We see that. You might producing, be producing 100-fold. Well done. Good job. You might be doing 30-fold, which is kind of a smaller crop back then. But the focus is on faithfulness. God has given you each one of you, each one of us, he's given us gifts that are meant to serve others in your capacity and in your circumstance and in your place. And so the question for us is, are we being faithful to use our gifts in our position? Maybe that's a mom with little kids. Maybe it's as a single. Maybe it's as someone punching the clock some, every day. Maybe it's someone rubbing shoulders with other students. Maybe it says someone living alone later in life. Are we using our gifts in our place, in our circumstance, to serve God and the people God has placed us around? Some might have a greater capacity. They might be called to different things, maybe more public things. They might be more mature in the faith. They might seem to get more things done. But Jesus' word for you, church, and for you in your situation is you follow me. That means whether you have 10 talents right now or two, you follow me, and you be faithful, and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That doesn't mean he might, he might increase your capacity and maturity, but that means for you right now, how can you sow gospel truth into the lives of others, and how can you be faithful where the Lord has you? Because little seeds eventually grow into big trees. And finally, listen, listen, last, one, last thing. I think, I think this passage would call us to think about where we are sowing right now. Because whenever we open our mouths and talk about Jesus and we proclaim the gospel, we are sowing seeds. And that might be when we talk to our neighbors or when we teach our children at home or when we talk to a family member who does not know or trust Christ. Every time you do that, you're sowing seeds. And, and we've got to remember, the, the power is not in us as we sow seeds. The power is in the seed. It's the same seed that we're sowing. And that's where the power is. It's the gospel, the power to save. So it's keep sowing seeds. Your kids didn't listen the last time you tried to do family devotions. Or your son or your daughter disobeyed again. And you had to go talk to them and teach them and proclaim the gospel again. Sow that seed and keep Sowing. Or your, your cousin, you, you, you said, hey, I want to tell you the gospel. I don't think you're going to church. I don't think you're saved. And he says, yeah, that's God's stuff. That's for you. That's not for me. I, I think the Lord's going to call you to keep sowing, to le- keep looking for opportunities to keep sowing those seeds. It's not your job to till up and produce and change the soil. That's, Jesus will do that work. The Spirit will do that work if that's part of his will. Our job is to be faithful in sowing seeds, even when we might not see immediate results, even when we might not see tremendous fruit in others. So keep sowing the gospel. Trust the Lord. Trust that the seed of the gospel truth has the power to save and be faithful as he gets things done through you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that you have given to us. We ask now that as we read it, as we think about it, that we would be doers We need a miracle to happen yet again, Lord. We need you to open our eyes, open our hearts, illumine us that we might truly see and truly hear. I pray that you would do that. 
Please encourage us. Please challenge us as we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen.